We got home yesterday from uh, a week's vacation, and I'm not the kind of person that vacations well. Um, vacation implies lots of rest and um, renewing, recharging, uh, those kind of things, but I'm, I'm wired to be a doer, a goer. 
if I sleep seven hours a night, that's, that's about the best I can do. Uh, I know people who can sleep 10 and 12 hours and no problem at all. Some people can idle away an entire day doing virtually nothing. I, I get antsy. I got to get up. I got to go. I got to do. So it was a bit of a challenge to, to go on vacation, but I was determined to do it. So I took my, my calendar book here out of my pocket, and I took my watch off and put it in the closet, and I set out a week ago Saturday with the goal in mind of doing as little as possible. And for the most part, I achieved it. Swam in the pool, built a sand castle on the beach, had some extended conversations with relatives we hadn't seen in a long time. Ate lots of great food. Because my brother-in-law is a marvelous cook. Just like my wife. <laughs> save that one. <laughs> had to save that one. Several times throughout the week, I would go up to somebody and say, Hey, do you know what I have to do today? And they'd say, What? absolutely nothing and I managed to pull that off but I got to tell you along about Thursday Friday my need to do began to kick in and it worked out that we could come home and the day after I get home I can be right back at it um, and as I thought about our lives as Christians I realized Jesus had a lot to say about being a doer, about being a person of action when it comes to our faith, and that sometimes we struggle with that. One of the scriptures uh, that came immediately to mind was a story that Jesus told in Matthew 7 about two guys wanting to build a house. And he said, This guy decided to build a house, he had a good plan, he had a good crew. And he took the extra time and expense of making sure he had a strong rock foundation to build that house on. This guy, he had a good plan. He had a good crew. But he wanted to cut corners a little bit. He didn't want to take that extra time and money to do all that rock foundation work. So he said, just put it on the sand. Just build that house right there on the sand. Both houses came out beautiful. But when the storms came, this house, this house withstood the storms because it was built on rock. But this house, when the storms came, the, the sand began to shift and to move with the water washing in and out. And pretty soon that house tilted and that house fell. And Jesus told that story not because he was so much interested in improving our building skills, Although the principle holds, he was concerned about how we build a life as a Christian. And he said, there's two ways to do it. You can build your life as a Christian upon hearing my word, knowing my word, understanding my word, and then doing my word. Acting upon it, applying those principles of my word to your daily life. That's a rock house. That's a house that'll stand no matter what this world throws at you. Or you can build your house on just hearing 
and knowing and understanding my word, but not doing it. That house will fall. And I think sometimes we struggle with that idea of not just knowing and believing, but doing. Uh, whenever they do one of these national polls about religious belief, there's a high percentage of people who will say, I know about Jesus Christ and I believe he's the Savior. But then when they begin to ask pointed questions about how do you live that out in your life? How do you apply that knowledge and belief to your life? The percentage begins to drop dramatically. We seem to struggle with both knowing, believing, and also doing. This is not a new problem. I've got a poster in my office that says, the greatest need of a vast number of churchgoers is not more spiritual food, but more spiritual exercise. And that wasn't written recently. That was written by Pastor Halford Luckock in 1917. <laughs> it seems to be a common struggle to, to actually put these principles that we believe that comprise our Christianity into practice in our daily lives. In Ephesians 2.10... The Apostle Paul said that we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That means that we weren't created just to be good, just to think good, just to speak good. We were created to do good. And whenever we put our faith into action, we are fulfilling the purpose for which he created us. I read a great article in a devotion uh, over my vacation last week. It was titled, Quit Praying. And I thought, why, why would you tell people that? <laughs> I usually tell people to pray more. But the gist of the article was that too often as Christians, we pray about things when we should be doing something about it. We try to ask God to do the works that we were created to do. And he gave some examples. Suppose you know of a person who is in dire need of transportation to get to and from work. And they tell you about their need and you say, well, I'll be praying for you. And you, God, please send this man a car. Provide transportation for this man. Give him a car. And you've got a, an extra car just sitting in the back of your driveway you haven't used in months. He said, can't you just imagine God saying, excuse me? Why are you asking me to give the man a car? You give the man a car. <laughs> or you get a letter from a missionary talking about their dire financial need. They're at great personal sacrifice. They've gone halfway around the world to preach the gospel. And they're in desperate need of financial support. And you begin to pray, Lord, send this man money. Give this man the money he needs while your checkbook with a healthy balance lays beside you. Can't you imagine God might be saying, excuse me, write a check. <laughs> In 
If you've raised kids, you know, you give your kids responsibilities and you tell them what's expected of them. And, and one of the things we told our kids was you need to keep your rooms reasonably clean. That meant the dirty clothes would find their way to the clothes hamper. The trash would get picked up. Leftover food would be scrounged out from under the bed so it didn't grow into things that you don't want there. You know, not, nothing big, but just clean your room. How would I have responded if every week my daughters came to me and said, do we have to clean our room this week? Yes. Next week, do we have to clean our rooms this week? Yes. Week after week after week, do we have to clean our rooms? Yes! Until further notice, clean thou thy room. Don't ask. I wonder how God must feel when as his children... We are constantly coming to him. Lord, meet this need. Lord, help this person. Lord, do this. Lord, provide this. And he's saying, excuse me? <laughs> what do you think I called you to faith in my son for? Why do you think I sent him to die for you? Do you think I want you just for eternity in heaven? I want you right now. And why are you asking me to do the good works that I created for you to do? Why do you think you met that person who had that need? I ordained that meeting so that your resources could meet their need. Don't ask me to do it. You do it. He went on to talk about some things we should never pray about. I thought, well, this should be interesting. He said, you don't ever need to pray, Lord, should I love this person? Should I love that person? That person? Have I not commanded you to love one another? Does that not include everybody? So you don't need to ask me. How about should I serve another person sacrificially? Should I give generously of what I have? Should I bless their life with the blessings I've been given? Should I forgive this person? You don't ever need to ask God, should you forgive somebody? Yes. Always, yes. I had to think about my own prayer life and how many times I've done that very thing. I have gone to God and pleaded with him to meet a need in someone's life that I am fully equipped to meet myself. And here's what he said that really got my attention. He said, if we're not careful, prayer becomes a form of spiritual procrastination. <laughs> Rather than doing something about the need that we can do something about, we pray about it. And we pray about it until someone else does something about it, and then I don't have to do it. Anything that God has spoken clearly about in his word, we don't need to pray about. Now, I might want to pray, what's the best timing to meet this need and how can I best meet it? I might want to pray about some of the details or logistics about it, but whether I should do it? No. It's not enough that we think good. It's not enough that I try to be good. 
I need to do good. I need to live a life of Christian action. Let me give you some more scripture. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says, Abound in every good work. That means don't just do a few. Don't do one or two and say, I filled my quota for this week. I've been good enough. No, he said abound. That means keep piling it on. Paul told Timothy to command uh, the Christians to, to do good and to be rich in good deeds. He said, never, never become weary in doing good. But as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. One of my greatest joys over the past 20 plus years that I've been here at East Main Street is to see the good that you do for each other. To see the way that you respond to each other. You don't just pray for each other's needs. You tangibly reach out and demonstrate God's love by meeting others' needs. My family and I have experienced it over and over. And I've watched as many of you have as well. That's when the church is at its best. When it is doing good for one another. But it must not just stop within the church. I've been in churches where people would be very generous and kind and helpful to each other, but it would stop at those walls. If anybody out here needed help, if the neighbor across the street needed help, no, we're not doing that. We only help our own. What kind of a witness does that give to the world? I mean, I was so proud of this church when we had a lady across the street that her house needed painting and she had no way to get it painted and no money to pay somebody to paint it. So what did people in our church do? They painted it. They were doing good. And we allow that good to spill outside these walls into this community. That's, that's the greatest witness we can have. What's the old saying? They don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. When people see the love of God at work through us in this community, then they'll be more interested to hear about the Jesus that motivates us to do those good works. Christianity was never meant to be a noun. It was never meant to be just the name of a religion. Christianity is meant to be a verb, an action word. It's not an accident that the fifth book of the New Testament is called what it is. Okay, now we got to do it. Let's see, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Kind of an odd name for a book, isn't it? We're running along these names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts. What's Acts? Some, some Bibles will add in the Acts of the Apostles, because that's what it is. When Luke wrote this book, he was not interested in telling us how they thought. He was not primarily interested in telling us what they had to say, although he tells us some of that. What he really wanted to convey in this fifth book is what did they do? The acts of the apostles. How did those early Christians respond to the love and grace of God through the cross of Jesus Christ? They acted upon it. And they changed the world because of it. 
it makes me wonder if someone were to write a book about us and our Christian experience, what would the title be? Would it be The Thoughts of Roger? The Sayings of Roger? Or would someone write The Acts of Roger? The Acts of Mike Moon? I don't know. Let's rethink that. Let's... You know, some things, as soon as you say it, you go, ah, that's a bad idea. I don't, there might, we might want to edit that one a little bit. All right? We might want to do that. But uh, I appreciate you letting me pick on you all the time, Mike. I really do. Just. <laughs> God, that's it. That's it. One of the good works you do is let us all pick on you. That's good. But, but would it be, and, and if it was the acts of me, would it be a little thin book? <laughs> would it be a thick book? Because there were so many to write about. Because at the end of the day, when this life is over, and you and I stand before God, is He going to say, well thought, good and faithful servant. Well said, good and faithful servant. Well planned good and faithful servant. Is he going to say any of that? No. There's only one commendation that the Bible says God will give us. Well done, good and faithful servant. And so my challenge to you is to do something. Full of trouble now. I thought, how do we ever get so far down? And how's it ever gonna turn around? So I turned my eyes to heaven. I thought, God, why don't you do something? Well, I just couldn't bear the thought of people living in poverty and children sold into slavery. The thought disgusted me, so I shook my fist at heaven. I said, God, why don't you do something?
salt of the earth, we are city on a hill. We're never gonna change the world by standing still. No, we won't stand still. No, if not us, then As I was watching that video, I thought how appropriate that I chose to do this message on this day when we're thinking about Earl and Gretchen and celebrating their anniversary. Because I don't know of anybody who does more somethings <laughs> in God's church than you two. And I've appreciated that so much over the years. Uh, give me a hand. Um, do you know the first something that you have to do is to open your heart to Jesus. You can't do good in Jesus' name unless you bear his name. And if there's someone here this morning that needs to take that step of faith to say, I believe in Jesus. I know about Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I accept him as my Lord and Savior. I want to do something. I want to become a Christian and make my life count for Jesus. During this time of invitation, I would invite you to come. It would be my joy to pray with you, to lead you in a simple confession of faith that says, I believe in Jesus, and I accept him as my Lord and Savior. Then we're going to ask you to do something. We're going to ask you to be baptized, because that's what Jesus asked you to do. And then that's going to set your feet on the path of this adventure we call the Christian life. Let's stand together. And sing hymn number 258, verses 1 and 4. And I invite you to come. She 